I enjoy a nice glass of wine, but I don't pretend to be an expert in wine. I usually just want a wine that's high quality, delicious, and not too expensive. And to me, that's Bogle Family Vineyards. And here's the thing about Bogle. This is a third-generation family-owned winery from California that makes exceptional wines for about 10 bucks a bottle. Bogle wines consistently earn best buy designations and high ratings from wine enthusiasts. And let me tell you something. The folks at Wine Enthusiast, they drink a lot of wine. They drink a lot of fancy, expensive wine. And yet they still keep giving great ratings to Bogle. And Bogle Vineyards has so many different kinds of wine. Whatever your mood, whatever you're eating, there's a wine for you. They got this great Pinot Grigio that's crisp and fruity, goes well with spicy foods, with fish. They have a classic Chardonnay that's balanced, amazing, with a pork tenderloin or butter chicken. I like to take that Chardonnay and do what Jacques Pepin taught me, a couple of ice cubes in your glass of Bogle. If Jacques Pepin says it's okay, then it's okay. And there's the Bogle Pinot Noir, refined and elegant with bright fruit and about as food-friendly as a red wine can be. You're not going to believe it's only $10. Neither will your friends if you tell them. So pick up a few bottles of Bogle wherever you buy your favorite wines. Please drink responsibly. I was just filled with so much rage and frustration with this job. My whole life, I felt like I I was getting these jobs or this salary because I didn't deserve more, you know, that I wasn't good enough. Like, maybe I do need to work for 20 years to get to a job that takes a white person two years to get to. This is The Sporkful. It's not for foodies, it's for eaters. I'm Dan Pashman. Each week on our show, we obsess about food to learn more about people. We're covering some breaking news for you this week, which is why this episode is up early. The protests happening across the country and the conversations about race and racism so many of us are having are happening in newsrooms and media outlets too. Long-standing anger over representation, diversity in hiring, double standards and coverage, it's all coming out. In food media, this attention has focused so far on Bon Appetit. Bon Appetit, the legendary magazine and home of the BA Test Kitchen, where some of the most popular food videos on all of YouTube are shot. The channel has billions of views, and fans online gush about hosts like Claire Saffitz and Brad Leone like their best friends. So let's talk about what's been happening at Bon Appetit. Two weeks ago, Bon Appetit's editor-in-chief, Adam Rappaport, posted a statement on the BA website titled, Food Has Always Been Political. It basically said, Black Lives Matter, and directed people to some of their articles about black chefs. It was similar to a lot of corporate statements that have come out. And it came under fire because food writers and chefs of color have long felt largely shut out of BA. In response to that statement, food writer Ileana Masonette tweeted about her previous interactions with Bon Appetit. She had pitched them a story about Afro-Puerto Ricans who make regional rice fritters, but she was told the story wasn't new and trendy enough. When she tweeted about Rappaport's statement, she added the hashtag, Solidarity my ass. Then, a couple days later, just this past Monday, another food writer named Tammy Teclamarium tweeted out a photo of Adam Rappaport in brownface. It was taken from a 2013 Instagram post on his wife's page. And he was in a costume that was clearly intended to be a stereotypical representation of Puerto Rican people. And there, and there was a, a, a mocking tone to it. Exactly. This is Rachel Premack, a reporter for Business Insider, who's broken a lot of the news about Bon Appetit in the past week. The Rappaport photo was posted to Instagram in 2013, but it was a throwback from Halloween 2004. One friend had commented on it, I was so scared of you guys that night. The post includes the hashtag Boricua, an informal term Puerto Rican people often use for themselves. Tammy Teclamarian posted all this to Twitter with the comment, I don't know why Adam Rappaport doesn't write about Puerto Rican food for Bon Appetit himself. And I have to say one thing about the photo. 
no one digs through your wife's Instagram from 2013 if they don't think they will find something. So this is not something that food writers of color are doing for fun or in their free time for no reason. Based off of Adam's previous actions, it was pretty clear to them that something offensive and racist would be on his page. This photo of Rappaport blew up on the internet, and it set off a chain of events that would have been hard to imagine even a month ago. The last few days alone have been so crazy that Bon Appetit's Sola El Whaley says of the brown face photo, I forgot about that. So much has happened this week that I just remembered again. But before we get to all that's happened this week, we want to go back. Because the first question is, why were people so sure they'd find something offensive on Adam Rappaport's social media? Turns out there's a long history of racist and discriminatory behavior at Bon Appetit. One example from Rachel Premack's reporting is the experience of Ryan Walker Hartshorn, who's the only black woman who works at BA full-time. She's a Stanford grad who got a job as Adam Rappaport's assistant. Now, this type of job is usually a foot in the door for a person who wants to work on the creative side and move up in the industry. But after nearly three years, Ryan hasn't gotten a promotion or even a cost-of-living raise. So Ryan's job was to help Adam with the day-to-day editorial needs, um, to also contribute to the magazine when time allows. Instead, she was made to clean his golf clubs, to deliver shoes to his wife. And on top of that, she described to me that Adam was incredibly manipulative, made several racist remarks towards her. Um, During one of Ryan's first months at Bon Appetit, Adam asked her to get him some coffee. And she asked him, oh, how do you like your coffee? And Adam just stared at her and stared at her and said, I don't know, like Rihanna. In case it's not clear, he meant he wants his coffee to match Rihanna's skin color. Additionally, she had asked multiple times for a raise. So she makes her base salary is $35,800 to live in New York. And she's also eligible for overtime. She needs to put in hours and hours and hours of overtime just to pay her rent. And um, since the beginning of the coronavirus, her overtime has actually been cut. And for that reason, she hasn't even been able to pay her rent. And Ryan asked Adam, please, I need a raise. And this is even after the George Floyd stuff has started and Condé Nast, the parent company of Bon Appetit, just announced that they're going to donate a million dollars to Black Lives Matter causes. Yeah. Um, and Ryan, who makes $35,000 a year and hasn't been able to pay rent for three months, goes to Adam to once again ask for a raise. Yes. And what does Adam say? Adam says, have you considered that you're just not well-suited for this job? It wasn't just Ryan who experienced this kind of treatment. Rachel also talked with Nikita Richardson, who started at BA before Ryan. She's now a writer at The Strategist, which is part of New York Magazine. For most of the time Nikita was at BA, she was the only Black person on staff. She was there for about a year, from 2016 to 2017, which was before the YouTube channel exploded in popularity. What if you broke up with someone and then they became extremely famous right after you broke up? So that no matter where you went... You heard about them, you saw them, and your friends all were in love with that person. And you're like, but it wasn't a great relationship. So it's one of those situations where it's like, I, it's, it was hard to move on knowing 
knowing what my experience, not only my experience, but the experience of other minorities have been there. We have talked about this for years, you know, what we went through. It's, and it's like you can't heal from something if you can't unburden yourself of it. One incident from Nikita's time at BA really sticks out in her memory. Now, it's not as glaring as a racist photo or comment. It's a little more subtle. But it offers a glimpse into what it's like to be one of the only people of color in a workplace. Nikita got an email from Carla Lally Music, who ran the test kitchen. I read the email back to Nikita. She wrote, Hi, I hate to write this email and really don't want to single anyone out, but unfortunately I feel obligated to communicate this info. Several people came to me yesterday and today to voice concerns about socializing during work hours in the test kitchen and studio, and your name came up specifically. I know that the kitchen is awesome and that it's hard to not want to hang out there, but I'm asking that you please think of it as a workspace first. The food team, the video team, and our stylists have a lot to do and distractions, extra people, and lots of talking can be very tiring. She goes on to talk about what to do when there's leftover food or something, and she says then, thank you for understanding, exclamation mark, Carla Lally, music, food director, Bon Appetit. What did you think when you got that email? Oh, well, I think I cried. (laughs) When something seems pretty innocent on its face, it can be hard to read between the lines. Nikita had only been at BA for a few months. It was the second major publication she'd ever worked at. Talking about this email on Twitter this week, she wrote, when you feel like an imposter every day, even the smallest slight can break you. Nikita says the same email was sent to Elise Whitney, who's a woman of color, and Alex Delaney, who's a white man. But Elise told Eater that white staffers never stopped going to the test kitchen. Carla Lally Music denies that assertion. She also told us there were multiple back-and-forth emails clarifying the issue and that the single email doesn't tell the whole story. I mean, if you look at any video today of the test kitchen, and it wasn't so different at that time, there's people wandering around. And what qualifies as disruption, coming down to get a water, coming down to talk to your coworkers. Like Brad Leone and I used to talk about beer, which is the context of that email. I think like that kind of situation, you just feel very singled out. And even though it seems like it's so innocent, it it felt extremely pointed. The difference between a lot of people of color and the people who are in power and who are mostly white is that people of color are always asking themselves, are they, am I doing enough? Could I be doing better? You're always thinking from that mindset of I'm in a minority. I don't want to be seen as not being good enough. I became afraid to be in the test kitchen for very long if Carla was there. But if she wasn't there, I would go down there and no, and like that complaint never came up again. And it makes you think, well, who said this about me? Why did they say it? What did I do specifically? And when people can't offer you specifics, then it feels like your behavior is being called out, not because you did something wrong, but because it's you that did it. And being the only Black person on staff, everything is just magnified. You feel like you're closer to the sun and the, like, darker your skin is and the more different you are in an environment where no one looks like you. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Carla Lally Music saw the comments that have been in the coverage and she tweeted this week in regard to this email, um, no one was banned from the kitchen. I asked people to be considerate about noise, etc. However, I did not stop to consider how it might feel for my POC colleagues to receive that email, nor did I fully take into account their experience at BA as people of color. I am sorry I hurt them. 
The fact that they felt excluded and others, white males, did not is reflective of BA's toxic culture writ large. I was under-equipped to be an ally then, and I have to do better now. What's your take on that? Um, I mean, I don't want to be kind of pitted against Carla because (laughs) women still have to stand for each other, you know what I mean? Like, no matter what the situation is. um, You know, I mean... Not like excusing it, but being like, I don't like, I don't, that's not a narrative that I'm interested in participating in, um, which made me sound like Taylor Swift just now. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean, like, it's, I, I, what I've been thinking about a lot lately is that every generation thinks that they're way more progressive than the generation before them. Adam probably thought, well, I'm not like the, you know, fuddy duddies who preceded me at BA. The way that we talk about minorities and sexuality and everything has changed so much, even in the last six years, it's possible to literally still be behind it. And that I think that a lot of it has to do with who do you surround yourself with? And do you actually listen to people when they try and tell you something? Or do you say, I'm doing enough? A few months after that email incident, Bon Appetit hired another Black woman. It was Ryan Walker Hartshorn, Adam's assistant, who you heard about earlier. When I found out that Ryan, who had been hired, was Black, and she found out that there was a Black person on staff, we were like, oh my God, another Black person. And then two months later, I was let go. I, like, text Ryan. I'm like, Ryan, they laid me off. And she was devastated. Nikita was let go in November 2017, part of a big round of layoffs across Condé Nast. At the time, she was in the middle of writing two stories for B.A. One of them she finished as a freelancer after she was laid off. The other was a story about a black line cook at Le Cuckoo, a fancy New York restaurant. Nikita had already done the interviews and all the legwork. Someone at B.A. reached out to her to ask for the cook's contact info, which Nikita provided. She figured the magazine just wanted to dot I's, cross T's. A few months later, the piece came out, written by a white writer, Amanda Shapiro, who's now the interim editor-in-chief of B.A., Nikita was not credited. I was surprised to learn that the story had run, and I, you know, reached the person who asked me the, for the contact information. I reached back out to them. I said, I can't, oh, I see this story ran. And then 24 hours later, I get a response, oh, we owe you. Coming up, we'll work our way to the events of this past week when we talk with Sola L. Whaley, who's well known for her appearances in BA's Test Kitchen videos. She'll tell us why she wrote the Instagram story that would change everything. And what happened when she told Editor-in-Chief Adam Rappaport to his face that he should resign? Stick around. And now, a delicious word from our sponsors. In the Pashman household, we're already big fans of Tillamook shredded cheese. In fact, I used it in developing many recipes in my cookbook. And now I'm getting into their ice cream. Tillamook ice cream is made with more cream, so you get smooth and dreamy scoops each time. You may not realize it, but this is why a lot of the store-bought ice cream doesn't taste the same as what you get in in an ice cream parlor. But with Tillamook, they don't skimp on the cream. These people know dairy, okay? Tillamook makes a great, rich vanilla ice cream with real crushed vanilla bean seeds. They have an Oregon strawberry, sweet strawberry ice cream with ripe Oregon strawberry pieces. The one that I really love is the mudslide flavor, a smooth chocolate ice cream with a ribbon of rich fudge and chocolatey chips. You want to move the spoon around to get fudgy and chocolatey chips and the ice cream all in the same bite each time, and it's just so, so nice. 
And like I said, I just trust Tillamook when it comes to dairy. They make over 200 different dairy products, and the brand is farmer-owned and led by dairy experts. Find Tillamook ice cream near you at Tillamook.com. That's T-I-L-L-A-M-O-O-K.com. This episode is brought to you by Merrick Pet Care. We have a dog. Her name is Sasha. She's almost four. She's a standard poodle. She's black and fluffy and soft and very adorable. And when we first got her, we took her to like this puppy kindergarten training class. The whole family went and, you know, they're teaching you how to use the treats and all this. The trainer watched Sasha for a bit and said, hmm, she's very food motivated. And my daughter, Emily, turned to me and said, she's a Pashman. <laughs> and so she is food motivated. And that's why we make a point of feeding Sasha high quality pet food. Founded in Hereford, Texas, Merrick has been crafting high-quality dog food for over 30 years. Real is Merrick's recipe, so they always use deboned meat, fish, or poultry as the number one ingredient. Now, let me tell you something. When it's dinner time, Sasha is motivated, okay? She is highly motivated to come in from patrolling the backyard at dinner, to get up off the couch. Whatever she's doing, she will drop it and come running. Check out Merrick online or in your local pet store and look for their new packaging with real ingredients shown on the bag and inside it. Are you ready for warmer weather? I know I am. But is your wardrobe ready? I just stocked up on spring and summer clothing at Quince. And let me tell you something. I feel great about everything I got. I got a couple of short sleeve button down shirts, polo shirt, some shorts. Everything feels great. It's super high quality. And I can't believe how much stuff I got at a reasonable price. Quince has all the seasonal must-haves, like 100% European linen shirts from $30, performance polos, and versatile flow-knit activewear. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, along with premium fabrics and finishes. Whatever you need for the spring and summer, Quince has your back. Upgrade your wardrobe. Go to quince.com slash sporkful for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sporkful to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash sporkful. I just got a very wonderful shipment of goodies from the folks at Reese's. And let me tell you something. These people remain the absolute worldwide leaders in bringing together chocolate and peanut butter. Of course, we know the peanut butter cups remain transcendent. But have you tried the Reese's sticks? Their wafers with peanut butter in between each wafer, all coated in chocolate? I mean, the combination of sweet chocolate and salty peanut butter just brings people joy, and the folks at Reese's do it better than anyone. So shop Reese's peanut butter cups now at a store near you, found wherever candy is sold. Welcome back to The Sporkful. I'm Dan Pashman. If you're new to our show and you're interested in hearing more of our coverage of race in the food world, we just re-released an episode from last fall because it won a Webby Award. It's about the use of the word plantation in food branding and the names of restaurants, teas, and chicken dishes. That word does not refer to specific spices or cooking methods. So why does it keep popping up? Food writer Osai Endelin, who's black, wrote a piece about it. But as she told me... White people need to be talking to more white people about things like this because it's not black people building the resorts named after a plantation and putting a fence in front of it. So I set out to speak with white people in the food world who are using the word plantation. I am not as interested in the conversation of stop using the word as I am interested in the investigation of why the word keeps appearing. That is a real, it is a touchy subject. 
Osai was right about that, as you'll hear. This episode is an exploration of whiteness in America. It's called When White People Say Plantation. You can also check out our episode about racial coding in restaurants. That one is called Can a Restaurant Be for Everybody? Both those episodes are up now wherever you got this one. Finally, while you're looking for those, please subscribe to our show in Apple Podcasts. If you listen in Spotify, follow. If you listen in Stitcher, favorite. You can do it right now while you're listening. Thank you. Okay, let's get back to Bon Appetit and a quick warning that there's some explicit language in this segment. Nikita Richardson left Bon Appetit in 2017. Last year, 2019, Sola El Whaley, who's Bengali-American, applied for a job at the company. Her various interviews there spanned six weeks. When they finally offered her the job, she found out the pay was $50,000, which is New York City's median individual income. But Sola had 15 years of experience. She thought it was less than she deserved. But it was Bon Appetit, so she took it. She had heard that there were race issues there. But as she told me, Honestly, the thing that made me think maybe it wasn't true was the YouTube videos. The big thing for me was Gabby. Sola is referring to Gabby Melian, a longtime BA staffer who's from Argentina. Gabby is now the Test Kitchen manager, and she frequently appears in Test Kitchen videos. I thought it was really awesome that Gabby was like getting highlighted in videos and that she started as a dishwasher and that she moved up and they gave her these opportunities. So, I mean, that really made me think maybe, maybe they're getting better with their race stuff, but it all turned out to be bullshit. If you watch B.A.'s videos, you know that Sola appears in a lot of them. She's a fan favorite. One of her fans, with the Twitter handle SWIP, cut together clips from Test Kitchen videos where white chefs keep asking Sola for help, and she seems to have all the answers. Sola, do you have a minute? I came over to ask if you had time to temper chocolate at some point. Hey, Sola, can I ask you a question about technique real quick? Dosa? What's dosa, Sola? What kind of, what, what temperature are we looking at, Sola? We've never been on camera together. We have. Thanksgiving, right when I started. Very forgetful. <laughs> so I feel like the tortilla needs to be like about like this. Okay. Well, Do you have time for this today? I'm gonna make time. <laughs> Sola. I'm not frustrated with like helping Claire and people on camera. That's, that's not it. I just, um, what frustrates me is that we have this like image of being this really diverse team and this like really inclusive club or whatever, but there's not real equity there. Um, there are some people who get paid huge, huge amounts for their appearances on camera. And then the people of color, we were either paid nothing, such as myself and Gabby and Christina, we've never been paid for video, or very nominal amounts like $200. The people you see in these videos are employees or freelancers for Bon Appetit. But the hosts of the shows, who are almost all white, get separate contracts from Condé Nast Entertainment. And those contracts can be very lucrative. On top of that... They kind of treat us like side characters to pull in in the name of diversity. Like they have Christina come in when Morocco is making uh, Korean short ribs. Christina is Christina Che. She's Korean-American, one of the other Test Kitchen chefs who says she was never paid for her on-camera appearances. Morocco is Chris Morocco, one of the white stars of the YouTube channel. Priya Krishna, who you've heard on this show, has also spoken out about similar treatment, brought in as a guest when one of the white hosts is cooking Indian food. They have this like circular logic that the people they choose to put in a, in a show and give a lucrative contract to are the people who have a lot of followers. But the people who ended up with a lot of followers are the people who got the show. You know what I mean? Like, they never gave us a chance. 
that's one of the explanations that we hear is sort of like, well, well it, it's not about race. We're just following clicks. We have to get clicks. We have to get views in the videos. And so we have to put up food that is quote unquote accessible, mm-hmm. um, that, that appeals to a, a, a quote unquote mass audience, which is all really just code for a white audience. Yes, exactly. And is even unfair to some portion of the white audience. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> who, who might actually be interested in things beyond grilled cheese. I completely agree. Yeah. Well, that is something that that um, a lot of us, have, I think everyone has a problem with the, the content, the type of recipes we're putting up. Um, they're never things that we would ever put in the magazine. I try and have a meeting with the producers once a month to push and be like, hey, let's do something like the chicken biryani recipe I did last year. Like we proved it was like one of the top performing recipes on the site. I think it will do well as a video. You know, we, we've tried to push diverse things but they all they just want to make fucking smash burgers and mac and cheese and it's and it's just like we can do better and i think that it's really underestimating the audience as well multiple staffers say one of the biggest obstacles to getting more people of color in prominent roles in video and getting more diversity in the foods featured was conde nast's head of video matt ducker those staffers told us that ducker earned a bonus based on the performance of these videos the more clicks the more he stood to gain he was the problem, to be honest. I think he was a much bigger problem than Adam. He was the one that like, only wanted Priya to make Indian food. And since we've been um, working from home, I've been shooting more videos than ever. And, and since we're at, like, doing it on our own, we're the sound guy, we're the video guy, we're the food stylist, we're the dishwasher. So it's like significant amount of work. And every week I keep telling them, when are you going to pay me? Like, when are you going to pay me? And I have a talk with Ducker like once a week. He looks me through the Zoom eyes and he tells me, it's coming tomorrow, I swear. It's tied up in legal. It's coming tomorrow. Just finish this shoot. And he did that to me for months. Rachel Premack, the reporter, says people of color at Bon Appetit repeatedly brought concerns about diversity in the staff and the content to editor-in-chief Adam Rappaport and video boss Matt Ducker. They would have the meetings, they would listen to people, they would say, oh yes, we hear your concerns. They would initiate these these sort of like guidelines of like, oh, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do this. But in practice, that did not actually come out. So actually one interesting thing, which also didn't make into my piece, is that they said six months ago that they were going to hire a full-time black person to be on their videos and they haven't. It does not take six months to find a talented black cook with on-camera experience. So now you have a sense of Sola's time at Bon Appetit up to a couple weeks ago. Then the protests around the country start happening. In the midst of all that, Adam writes a piece that sort of says all the things he's supposed to say. We need to all come together. We need to fight racism. Racism bad. Um... (laughs) Racism bad, all caps. (laughs) This statement is the one we talked about at the beginning of the episode, about how food is political. In it, Rappaport writes, quote, In recent years, we at BA have been reckoning with our blind spots when it comes to race. We still have work to do. But one thing I know is that our editorial mission, besides recipes and home cooking, is to cover the most important stories of the moment as they relate to food. And so I'm, I would imagine that that knowing what you knew about what was going on behind the scenes there, um, seeing that kind of public statement from Bon Appetit must have been especially galling. We were all livid, like internally, 
the editors, we were all so angry with his like wishy-washy statement. And it felt like he was almost like patting himself on the back about the couple of articles we did have that featured black chefs. And it's like, you need to relax. There's only two black people who work in this entire company. So we have nothing to be proud of. It's interesting to me that, you know, the, the brown face photo was kind of the first <laughs> thing that hit. I'm um, sorry, I laughed. It's just, uh, I forgot about that. So much has happened this week <laughs> I, that I just remembered again. Now we get to the brown face photo. After it drops, Adam calls an all-staff Zoom meeting to discuss it. He just kind of said, sorry, I'm sorry, this was dumb, a dumb costume. I didn't realize how this might affect people. Um, and it was like a couple sentences. And then he wanted, and then there was like a pause and no one spoke. And he was like, okay, so let's wrap this meeting up. And then I was like, absolutely not. You should resign. Like, I think it's crazy that you think that you can do anything now but resign. Um, and then that got the conversation started. <laughs> As it will. I'm sorry to laugh. That's just like, that is like the most awesomely badass thing I could ever imagine happening. But go on. What did, what did he say to that? He said, yeah, maybe, maybe I should. I don't know. He, he said he wanted to think about what's good for the Bon Appetit. Like maybe it's better for him to stay and help us fix this. Um, but then more people started chiming in, uh, wanting his resignation. Were any of the people who chimed in white? After I, well, what, what happened was most of the people, it was like 40 people on the Zoom meeting. Half of them were not showing their face. And then it was me and like a couple other people of color and one white girl who were speaking. And then I just kind of snapped and yelled at everybody. And I'm like, you, this is why this shit happens. Like everyone's hiding. Like half of you are hiding. Most of you aren't saying anything. And like you, you post all this stuff on Instagram about pretending to care. But like now is the time where we can actually make a difference. And no one was speaking up. And then the white people started talking. They just needed to be yelled at. It just, it shouldn't happen that way. It, it really shouldn't. It's amazing to me that he would have had the thought that maybe he should be the one to stay on and fix it. I know. <laughs> yeah, that's what really upset me. Minutes after that Zoom meeting, Sola goes public. She takes to Instagram, where she has more than 400,000 followers, and writes, quote, I've been at BA for 10 months and have 15 years of professional experience. I was hired as an assistant editor at 50K to assist mostly white editors with significantly less experience than me. I've been pushed in front of video as a display of diversity. In reality, currently, only white editors are paid for their video appearances. She goes on to demand Rappaport's resignation and pay equity for people of color at BA. My whole life, I felt like I, I was getting these jobs or this salary because I didn't deserve more, you know, that I wasn't good enough, like... Maybe I do need to work for 20 years to get to a job that takes a white person two years to get to. But then I was like really thinking about it. And like, I don't know, I'm sure that a lot of people have been just like reading more about racism in the last few weeks and thinking more about it and, and thinking about how these things are so like deep within all of us. And it, it just made me realize like, I don't want people to make me feel like this anymore. Like I don't, I, I, should, I should feel like, like, like I'm equal. Sola's Instagram story goes viral. An hour after she posts it, she hears from Matt Ducker, the head of video. That contract he's been promising for months, suddenly he has it. 
By the end of the day, this past Monday, the same day the racist photo surfaced and Sola posted on Instagram, Editor-in-Chief Adam Rappaport resigns. In the following days, old racist and homophobic tweets from Matt Ducker surfaced. Rachel Premack, the reporter we talked to earlier, publishes her piece in Business Insider, recounting a lot of the history you just heard about. Wednesday night, Ducker also resigns. Now, the people of color in the test kitchen are negotiating new deals. The mostly white stars of the videos have said they won't shoot new videos until the pay disparity is rectified. Which means that contract that Sola got on Monday, the one she'd been pushing for, she hasn't signed it. None of us are going back to work until everybody gets paid. This is not just about me. Like, everyone who does videos for the test kitchen should get compensated. Because it's the most lucrative thing that Condé Nast has. Have you raised with them the issue of getting retroactively paid back for the work that you've done or for any of your colleagues? Um, Well, the contract that magically appeared in my inbox included back pay. But we want it for everybody. How do you feel about the response of the white hosts from the test kitchen since this all went public? Mm. (laughs) I don't know. They've all been different. Um, It's different for different people, I think. Um, Surprisingly, like Molly sent me a really like heartfelt email acknowledging a lot of stuff and her... um, complacency with it that allowed things to happen. But then there's people like Brad, who I genuinely think just found out racism is real. So it's going to take different people different amounts of time to like understand what's happening. So there was a statement that got put out a couple days ago Mm -hmm. that was sort of like from the staffers and editors of Bon Appetit, Mm -hmm. um, which was interesting because like there's ostensibly there's no one in charge. So like Mm -hmm. who who wrote that? Where did that come from? Right now there is a a small group of us who are working on rebuilding and um, addressing all of these issues. It's like seven of us, and we made sure that the few people of color that are on the team are always in that room. It originally, the statement started out much stronger, much more direct, um, and made more concrete promises, but we did have to like negotiate with corporate and HR and PR, so we did lose a lot of like the oomph, but we internally are holding ourselves accountable to our original statement and our set of goals. Um, we just, like, for legal reasons, can't say all that. We can't be like, yes, Bon Appetit's racist. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> <laughs> we were in meetings with them until 11 p.m., <sighs> like, fighting over words. <laughs> and I also understand that a lot of the stuff we're asking for is, like, really radical for a company like Condé Nast. What are some of the things that you're asking for that might seem radical? We want to increase the pay for the people of color on staff. So we just want to make sure that there's no one on the team that doesn't make a livable wage, which I don't think is wild. Yeah, I'm like, when when do we get to the radical part? (laughs) Yeah, we want everyone to make a living wage. Yay. So Sola has a seat at the table now, and she's using it. I've experienced some of like the highest highs of my life this week. When Adam resigned, when Ducker resigned, and when that Business Insider article came out, I just like, I finally felt like uh, I wasn't just screaming in the wind anymore. So I feel like now finally things might change. I, I don't know, I, I always grew up believing that I would always experience casual racism and that's just a fact of life and that there's no way around it. 
But I, I finally think that like maybe we don't have to anymore. As for Nikita Richardson, who you heard earlier, I asked her, bon appetit aside, what have you been working on lately at The Strategist that you're especially excited about? It's so sad because I have been doing so little work the last two weeks because of this and because of Black Lives Matter. But I did do a story about like how to start fermenting at home that I was really excited about. And I just want to do my work so badly. <laughs> and But I also want to address this head on, I've been trying to heal from it too and kind of rebuild my own confidence in myself and my ability to do the work. Uh, Because, you know, people can tell you up and down, like, oh, you're good, you're good. But like, it's hard to believe it if this is an environment you've come from. As for Sola Elwaley, she says she has a new video series concept that she hopes to host for Bon Appetit once she starts getting paid for her work. And I have a feeling we'll be seeing more of her across a lot of their videos in the future. If someone came to you, Sola, and said, we want you to do a special YouTube video about how to cook a dish, it can be any dish you want. Uh Uh-huh. What are you going to cook? Instead of a dish, could it be, I feel like I need to do a full, proper chocolate tempering video. Yes. We need that. It needs to be out in the world. Sign me up. Count me as your first click. Cool. A few things to add. Adam Rappaport and Matt Ducker declined to be interviewed for this piece. We sent representatives at Condé Nast a list of questions, but they did not respond as of this publication. We taped the interviews in this episode two days ago. Since then, several of the white hosts from the BA Test Kitchen have put out statements on Instagram addressing what's happened and their own roles in it. Also, there are a lot of stories people of color have been sharing about their experience at Bon Appetit that we did not include in this episode. So we'll share links to all of those stories and statements at sporkful.com. One final thing, the attention right now is focused on Bon Appetit. But as Soleil Ho, food critic for the San Francisco Chronicle, wrote this week, while it may seem that this is a problem of Bon Appetit's own making, the takeaway here is that the way its sausage gets made looks a lot like how it gets made in the rest of the food media and the media itself. Its gatekeepers, the editors, are largely white and well-to-do and or governed by a structure of white and well-to-do vice presidents, publishers, and owners. It's why so much of what gets produced is framed in a way that centers on white and well-to-do people. What they eat, what they want to eat, and what they see as inedible. We'll link to that piece at sporkful.com as well. If you'd like to hear more of our coverage of race in the food world, check out our recent episodes, Can a Restaurant Be for Everyone? and When White People Say Plantation. Both those episodes are up now where you got this one. And please subscribe to our show in Apple Podcasts. If you listen in Spotify, follow. If you listen in Stitcher, favorite. This episode is produced by me, along with senior producer, Emma Morgenstern, and producer, Andre Sohero. Our editor is, Tracy Samuelson. The show is mixed by, Jared O'Connell. Music help from Black Label Music. The Sporkful is a production of Stitcher, our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Daisy Rosario. Until next time, I'm Dan Pashman. This is Jadzia Hutchings from Macon, Georgia, reminding you to eat more, eat better, and eat more, better. Better.